podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that free beer. Uh, thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash whistleblowers and for just four ninety five in postage, the rest of your beer will be free. What's more, the Whistleblowers listeners get an additional two extra free beers. So doing the mass, that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are essentially craft beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries that you can find. Uh, No surprise that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is they they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in you can leave at any time. Uh, You basically order your eight beers, your ten beers in fact, see if you like it, and if so, subscribe. Jump in, jump off. Your first box will be sent to you the next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which includes the theme and individual beers you'll receive and a cheeky snack is thrown in. Just go to beer52.com slash whistleblowers. That's beer52.com forward slash whistleblowers to get your first case of 10 beers for free. Well, uh, last whistleblowers of the decade. Um, I've been left on my own because Mark Smith couldn't be bothered to turn up. So it's just me and producer Leon enjoying a little soiree for Christmas. But luckily, I was joined by two of the finest guests and perhaps whistleblowers, presenters from the last 10 years. We had Mr. Stuart Wright and we had Mr. Theo Delaney. So um, I'm not going to waste your time uh, with my own voice, but I will say, uh, listen in and tune in till the end when they talk about their own great projects. Actually, Stu, um, good to have you back. Just a quick hello from you. Hello. And that is all you're getting. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. Uh, just a note to say that uh, as our first file was corrupted and our last file for uh, 2019 and the decade, um, I'm still joined by Stuart. Stuart? Martin, what, what a great thing it was for us to have like a pre-Christmas drink. Pre-prandials, post-prandials. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we were not far from the uh, Whistleblowers uh, base. When the solid gold uh, with Theo Delaney was... Uh, didn't quite work out, but great stuff in the second half of the show. Also, the stuff from Theo that he talks about is brilliant on the Spurs show this week, so we could probably signal post to that. Um, but, Stu, it just gives you more chance to... What's what, the to word? talk about Liverpool versus Watford? Just, absolutely. Well, let's... Wax let's, lyrical about... Uh, what, I'm not you, sure you can wax lyrical about that performance, but what you can say well, is... Well, maybe not Watford, but just... You, you've got Liverpool, you've got a free, free licence here, sir. Now, that's... That, that, if people listen to the end, they'll hear that, that <laughs> Theo points out that I am just a glow of red wine. Um, and I'm more so now, coming back for this first <laughs> Merry half Christmas. Piece. Merry Christmas, indeed. Um, but, yeah, li- Liverpool against Watford was the kind of shoo-in of, you know... The bankers of bankers, and then obviously with the new manager bounce, they performed above their potential. But in a way, they 
they were. Um, I mean, we, uh, let's, let's, that's one thing we didn't talk about in the previous one, so I think that we've got some added value. Come on, Nigel Martin, Pearson. Yeah. Right. Seeing him on Match of the Day, getting his. Like, it was almost like there was a guest slot from the military again, you know, like on some North Korean TV. He's old school, isn't Having he? his head in this kind of really dry, low. And we were quite good that, you know, it was all right in it. But actually, you get the it's impression terrifying. he takes no shit. You know, yeah. he's, 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 he's setting dead, fire he's dead to people. Eyed. He's dead eyed. He's, he's a dead eyed man. Um, but, but yeah, Liverpool were, were not as good as they've been this season. Probably one of the worst performances at home. Defensively were shocking. And as you've said, perhaps because of Watford. No, I don't, I don't think it's because it, no, of Watford. No, but because Watford, like, with nine, ten No, not at all, no, no. You, you, you think about that moment where, um, when Van Dyke nearly scores the you own change goal. change when, <laughs> when Van Dyke nearly scores the own goal. Um, Liverpool were a bit, I think, you know, without, I think it wouldn't be hard, for, in the context of the game, you've got, we're streets ahead in the league, we've got Villa with the youth team, and we've got, um... Hold on a minute. You and put we've got your full the world team. Cl- you put your full team out. No, no, no. I'm saying what's, what I'm saying. The context of the game is as we're playing is all this stuff's happening around it. And Watford are meant to be easy, and then they turn up with a new manager, and they're not bloody easy. And then a, a few lapses in defence. And actually, what, what what it revealed is that how bloody good Allison is as a keeper. Because yep. he makes two amazing saves. And also, ultimately, what I said before the fire was corrupted is it proves that really why Watford have, got, have scored nine go. goals. There we go. Perfect. I knew we'd get back onto that. But it's true, because, though, isn't no, it? It's a great point. And uh, one that I'd like to add to maybe why Nigel Pearson built a Premier League winning team at Leicester. Yeah, Never yeah. Got he, to he enjoy the fruits he, of his he labour. He took a team where Watford are now and kept them up, didn't he? Could he ever do that? Well, I imagine. I mean, I think we might be making an absolute leap. No, there'll be, there'll be lots of kecks off in uh, Watford if that happens. Yeah, well, there we go. So, let's go back to Liverpool's performance. It was a resurgence from Mo Salah. We, we talked briefly... A continued resurgence, we should add. Because yeah. you think of that, that goal he scored in Salzburg from... How acute was that angle, Martin? It was very cute. Could, could you... Could you, I mean, I... I was obviously I wasn't in I wasn't in Salzburg and I was in a pub in East London and when that goal went in I think twelve people of a room full of only twelve people stood up like it was just like it's a delight to see oh, them go in isn't amazing. it and then and then it's in an this, act of physics yeah but they, but this that but what mate what what I loved about it was that football can still surprise you and make you feel like this is a privilege. We're watching we're watching artists do it. I mean, as much as it's a sport and it's meant to be about like you know, lung capacity and muscles and stuff. But actually, that's got fuck all to do with anything other than he he thought, I can do this. Well, yeah, absolutely. On audacity, you know? And, and two of, perhaps two of the more audacious players uh, on opposing teams. I love Delafeu, but it showed the golf and the golf in comfort in front of goal because he has shown great comfort, not necessarily at the most important of moments for Watford, but the way that Salah... It was beautiful. It was just like kind of... But, po- is, but is, is Salah a product of working on the clock or is Salah an evolving footballer? I think he's someone that's been let to flourish under him uh, and perhaps someone that's been given the tools to do that. If you give a player the kind of quality balls, Firmino's ball to... I don't know if I agree with you there because if you look at like um, three or four of the key players under, under Klopp, um, Sadio Mane, um, Ginny Wijnaldum uh, and, and, um, and, and Mo Salah... 
all three are bought by um, Klopp. All three were very different players when they, who, as to who they were and who they are now. And I think that has got a lot to say about how Klopp looks at them and goes, I know what they are and what they can be, and we're going to talk about this and we're going to make it happen. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I, I think his belief helps that. I think that if you give a player... Well, you, your point being that it, imagine Salah went to Man United, would he be would he be a marshal? It's kind of like my implicit dig. Yeah, no, I know it was a dig, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm, I'm only a, implicit. You can't, you can't, you can't be explicit. <laughs> well, I just I, th- I think that um, Klopp has obviously instilled them with enough belief to be able to do that. His actual one of his defining characteristics is being able to make attacking players play with. But, the, but the, the first, the first, if you look at the two goals that Salah scores, the first goal, I mean, you, you, you beautiful. You're a striker. Went in in slow motion. You're, you're That's a, what did me. And it is, isn't it? Against a Foster, one of the best keepers at that level. And and to be honest with you, Foster had a blinding game. It's like a horrible thing where you go, the goalie played well, but they lost 2-0. And when that ball comes across and Salah picks it up and he's facing up to the defender and as he's facing up to him and like, you know, both players are going, what are we going to do now? Yeah. He fucking... Knocks with, it with his back heel the spe- the speed, onto his wrong foot. The speed of the change of uh, and the defender's like, "Oh, where do we go now?" But it, it, he could have, he could have, he could have put that ball in with a snooker cue. He had enough time because the keeper, everyone was wrong footed. You know, it's buying that. That's time. what I'm saying. But but, yeah. but the fact is that he he decided in that moment to put his wrong foot. Now, is that? I mean, I don't know. Is that testimony to a guy who doesn't care how many times he misses because he knows he'll score eventually? Or is that in the moment he goes, this oh, is no, the right just, thing to do? No, you just, once you've moved it there, you know it's happening, you just scoop it in. I mean, like, it basically, he put it in with a seven wedge, but he should have no, put it in with true, a four true, iron. True, true. And then you're going, well, that's that's just because he knew he had the tool for Whereas the Whereas the second goal is like, here I am, I'm onside. He just, and, and he was trying his arm, though. It was confidence for the second one, but you, there's no certainty because it went through someone's legs on yeah, the yeah, line. Yeah, of course. And yeah, we yeah. forget that. Mm. But at the same time, you go, I well, didn't forget it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't. Um, uh, in the absence of Theo Delaney, he would argue. We, we basically talked. Uh, but uh, if you compare him to Delafeu, as you, as you were before, yeah. you know, you look at like what happened to him. He basically saw um, Allison come out of his goal, and um, it's not my original thought. This is um, it, was, it was good goalkeeping. There's um, one of the guys on Anfield Rap come up with this. Uh, Liverpool podcast where it's like as a Stiablo uh, highlighter pen like the full the full <laughs> thing just comes out at you like as if it's like Wah! and and you 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 begin I mean have you actually you was a striker have you, Chop, you have you have you thought psycholo- psychologically about the goalkeeper and what you do next yeah, as, in, you destroy, as in that becomes a step thought the best thing that what Delafeo would normally do the, the difference was the speed at that the, that play so the speed of that play meant that the only thing Delafeo could do was take it right because the defender pushed him the right way yeah. and then he could he had two options if you could see it from Delafeo's point of view it would either be slot it under the keeper which uh, Alisson ruled out or bend it in the near stick which is virtually impossible yeah. so the, because other, there's certain players like Salah might have this is the, the limitations of some players but you might have gone outside the right foot and just slotted it under him or okay. or even if you're another player you would 
maybe chop inside, open the goal up like Salah did for his goal. But this is, you know, when I'm playing at League Two level and chopping inside, I'm doing it, at, you know, basically at granddad pace. At this level... No, no, but, 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 but a keeper has a... You, you've, you no, know you're playing a keeper Allison before a game did, starts, Allison, don't you? Allison was worth his salt. Absolutely worth his salt uh, in that occasion. And, and um, you know... And, so does, does, out of interest though, does a goalie get in a striker's head? As a, as a thing, is that a, when you're when you're in a good position? I can't imagine any goalkeeper getting Delafeu's head because it's so big and arrogant, and that's perfect. That's what I want from him. But what I'm saying is, like in that moment in time, backed up as a defensive unit, Allison is a is a you know even when right okay so uh, when Virgil Van Dijk nearly scores an own goal, and which was like it was like yeah, it was, but it was you know a, their reaction to it, the reaction was perfect because it diffused everything. It just went that's not going to happen again. It wasn't like they well, looked is, at each this other. Is, this has been a this has been a pattern under under both Allison and, and, and Van Dijk at Liverpool. Is that um, if you remember last season there was a horrendous error that led to the goal against Leicester at Leicester, and if it had been uh, Sam Mignolet or Carrius, it would have been the downfall of the whole team. But actually, Allison went oh, whatever. And then, and, then, and then he carried on like as if it never happened. And equally, when Van Dyke makes a mistake, he's going, well, we make mistakes, so uh, yeah. we'll not make one for a long time again. You know, and, like, yep. and that's well, kind of what he did. Well, like, you know, that, I do want to touch upon the esprit de corps that we talked about uh, previously with Theo, because uh, this is something that Spurs have brought in. I want to ask your mm. opinion on, on Jose, because I, I think that the mentality under Spurs, and we talked about the fatigue that was uh, under Poch, but um, the way that Spurs now approach games. Well, if I if I remember rightly from what the lost file told us about Spurs, which we will and bring Theo's, back, and from Theo's point of view, is that <laughs> under Poch he kind of went Lucas More or Song. Okay, so with with Jose, Jose's gone. I'm going to play fucking both of them because they're really effective, and I'll play Deli Ali as the number ten behind Kane, the number nine, which means that your four attacking forces are really formidable. And the cost for that is that you lose a player in the midfield. Um, and I thought that was really, it was really interesting just to hear it that way. And Theo's concern, as, as I, again, as I remember, is that the problem with that is that, yeah, it's a great tactic while they're both fit. But right now, Tottenham doesn't have a squad that includes players that could replace either or of those of Song or Lucas Moray. So he was kind of going, my wish list would be Zaha, which yeah. I think he's competing with a lot of clubs that are going... Zaha's wasted at Palace would be the kind of yep. view if you're not a Palace fan. Um, but I, I find it interesting for Spur, seeing Spurs that the kind of the idea of grit and determination is what we're seeing. But in effect, in effect, players that were just disappearing, really, I suppose, like a kind of Deli yeah, Ali, yeah, who's, who's a flair player, have actually found a space under a more kind of what you would what people would perceive to be a conservative management coaching of. Jose Mourinho. And then we talked about the relationship of how upward that might have uh, made the relationship between Pochettino and Levy. And mm. we, we talk about how yeah. uh, managerial uh, up and downs, managing up and down from... Well, do you, do you imagine... I mean, we didn't talk about this, but do you imagine what the conversation must have been like with Jose Mourinho having... In a way, I would say that Jose Mourinho was at Man United acted in much the same way that Rafa Benitez did under Hicks and Gillette Liverpool. He went, I can't fucking manage this club because the fucking clowns upstairs are too worried about their bonuses than they are about what's happening on the field. And if it's a football club, then a football club starts with success in the field and everything else is the gravy that falls afterwards, you know? And 
I'd imagine that the first conversation between um, I mean, I'm guessing now. This is not. It's not based on any kind. Well, of... we can guess. We have the. We'll be lucky. Are we allowed to, to guess? guess yeah. All right. Con- conjecture would say. This is conjecture. Conjecture would say that um, that that Jose Mourinho and Daniel Le- Levy have had a conversation of like what the vision is for Tottenham, and Jose Mourinho would have gone when I was at, when I was at Chelsea. This pissed me off, and when I was at United, this really pissed me off. And and Levy's gone. Well, I won't do that. Yeah, and, and 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 that's kind of it. Whereas, like, if you look at um, in kind of the growth of a manager, you look at Liverpool taking on uh, Brendan Rodgers. They were kind of going, "Well, we're going to play the money ball game. We're going to take the uh, yeah. the most talented, going to new talent, apply some re- restrictions yeah. to." But you. actually, what you saw was when it when it got to a certain limit, Rodgers lacked an authority. So they went. So they licked their wounds, FSG, and they got rid of him, and then they got Klopp in. And from day one, Klopp was kind of going, "I'm going to get rid of all you dead wood." I'm going to, I'm, but he didn't say, "I need to buy the world." He actually said, "I'm going to work with them players," mm. and and I think that's been a consistency. Well, do you know what? I, I I'll only add the value of what Rogers has done, perhaps about his level where he's been able to instill his authority at Leicester, because I think he inherited players that he thought he could work with, because I think Jose Perez, I mean, I don't know how much you can look at Leicester's squad and say this squad is top three, but he... Like if you want, no, I agree with you. I agree. I think I, I think, think he's done brilliantly. I think Rodgers has an authority now that he didn't have when he was at Liverpool. Well, then this is a point. No, no, I think I think he uh, did. He, he get that from Celtic, or is he emboldened by just his no, first few look, months? He's, he's he's a clever man, so I don't think he would look at his experiences at Liverpool as like, oh God, I failed. I think he, I think he, I think he's growth. Su- no, I think, he's, I think he grew. There's no wrong, and he yeah. succeeded because let's be honest. 13-14, no Liverpool fan thought, oh God, we're on a title run here. And then suddenly we're on one and we're like going, kek's off, let's have a laugh. But but it, it, it didn't it didn't turn out that way. And the season after was a bit was definitely classic after Lord's Mayor show. We'd been there before, you know, 2008-9, Liverpool finished second to United, and then 9-10, Rafa goes and then Hodger comes in. So Liverpool had been here before, and like, yeah, here we are now with Klopp and Thankfully, it hasn't happened. You know, we had that brilliant season against City. And I think, as you said in the pub, what you see with Liverpool is a continuation of how they were trying to keep up with City, but but with City not keeping up themselves almost. And while we're on managers uh, on Merseyside, let's a, a quick nod to Ferguson. Yeah, well, for, Duncan Ferguson lives and breeds Everton to to an extreme, I think it's safe to say. Um, the man, the man is to man prison. Is, in fact, yeah, he to, was a to blue. prison. He's a Rangers yeah. as a Celtic fan. I'll never forget that, Duncan. You're a convicted. I definitely criminal. think he washes his clothes with Daz. That, that's a white shirt that he wears, <laughs> and it's a hell of a hell of a wristband he's wearing in 2019. Um, but but it's safe to say that that he's had an impact at Everton, and whether that means that players are just scared of somebody that that, that, that I mean, there must be enough players in the squad who have seen him manage at. Um, under 18s, under 23s, whatever. I mean, he's managed at every level at Everton, so he's part of the club. And and you get, I mean, it's a bit like, I mean, this is a bit of a lazy lazy thing that they level at Klopp, is that he's a heavy metal, you know, you know, tub thumper. And that's all he is. Well, obviously, he's much more forget that. And I think that, Wait, I think, you know, when Ramstein are going to appear again at some point. Not at all, no. I think that, um, I think that Duncan Ferguson is the same thing. I think he's probably a lot more sophisticated in terms of the game and how it should be played. But I think at the moment he's just scared a load of people into being 
all for Everton and all for none, you know. Well, it, it's gotten results, and most notably the last weekend at yeah. Old Trafford. At Old Trafford, yeah, and I think it exposes a um, a weakness that we've seen at United that is, you know, Liverpool come and play, you go, well, shut up, shop. Man City will play, we'll catch them on the break. But it's like, can can Ole, can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer evolve into a manager of a big club like Man United, which, let's be honest, they are. Well, listen, Ole going to stop you there, because we're going to come... Oh, hello, Martin. Can I come on to that in the second half and make this uh, seamless into uh, the rest of the whistleblowers? So, yeah, let's come back at the break. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Welcome back, guys. So let's pick up where we left off. Uh, Stuart, we're chatting about Ollie and, uh, and and how it's working from a Man United or how it isn't working from a Man United. Mm. And it's... As a Liverpool fan, you're probably quite content to see someone slightly... Well, as, as a Liverpool fan that, that grew up in Manchester with a Scouse father, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> there's, a, there's actually nothing better. Uh, so when I go back in the new year, uh, it'd be funny <laughs> because there won't be much uh, crowing. Is he far away? Is he far away from making something click there? Um, you you kind of look at how effective they were against City and it was it was amazing the way, I mean... But, you know, how, how important is a centre-half if that's how exposed City are with one centre-half missing? But, um, yeah, attacking-wise, they look great, but there isn't, a, there isn't another plan if the game isn't there to be sort of snatched. I mean, I think, was it less than 30% of the ball? So that's not about playing football, is it? And that's about taking your chance. About affecting it when you've yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, and Theo, maybe against... Spurs, uh, you know, probably take great pleasure in Jose coming back there. And yeah. he was very well received by the Man United fans. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, what do you make of, of Ollie's tenure so well, far? Well, it's hard to say because, again, uh, three weeks ago, he, looked, he was definitely on the brink. Yeah, he was. And now, yeah, I mean, but they, they look all right. And like you say, they, they play well against the bigger teams. But that, that is a, that's almost like a disease that certain clubs can get. I mean, Spurs were like that for years. Mm. They always pulled it out, put in a good performance. Well, do you think, though, is, is there a theory, though, you can... Like, beating the big teams is hard. You can fix beating the teams that you should beat. You know, as in, like, look at why you're not doing it. Yeah. You, think, you know, in terms of, like... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a better just, problem to have, yeah. I suppose, in that respect. Yeah. But they still got to try and find a way, and you know, as we all know, anyone who supports a big club and goes with a season, watches them weekend, we know that the smaller, the smaller teams, so-called smaller teams, will come and they will just try and, as you say, just part the bus, try not to concede and make it frustrating. And when you're on, when you're 
really buzzing like Liverpool, you'll always find a way. Mm. And Spurs under Pochettino, under the, they always found a way. Uh, the latter, again, latter stages of Pochettino, those teams were coming, always getting a draw and sometimes getting a win. Newcastle yeah. won at Tottenham earlier in the season. Brighton, teams that are Brighton won easily. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, Sheffield United left completely aggrieved. They'd only got one point, you know, yeah. and things like that. So, that's a that's a thing that United for him to really turn a corner he's got to have to find a way of getting getting around those big, uh, and, and I don't know who they've got over Christmas but they can't keep playing big teams they must be they must have some small teams to <laughs> well, play. that's it and he, he could be on the brink again yeah. by the new year I mean that's the way it seems to work there if he has three bad results in a row against not big teams he'll be on the brink again for sure they'll mm. all be talking about who's next you know? well this is it so the death is it is there an element as well though that there's kind of a death of big managers at the moment where you know there's a lot of good jobs. Up for grabs, essentially. I mean, if you were a, if you were one of the big guys looking for a gig that has kind of influence, has stature, but also has money to spend, there's a few of those gigs going. I mean, what, I mean, I, I guess if Arteta's going for the job at Arsenal, as news reports would suggest, why aren't Arsenal going for Ancelotti if he's, well, this is, yeah. he's free? Wouldn't that be make more well, sense? I, there was a rumor in one of the papers that Ancelotti immediately dismissed it because he didn't feel like they would give him the backing. So he reckons he can get more backing Incredible. in terms of transfer backing. I mean, transfer money at Everton than at, than at Arsenal. Which really, if you're an Arsenal fan, that is absolutely that's damning. That is. Really can I do a straw poll? Are you two? Do you honestly think that Ancelotti will manage Everton? Ancelotti likes taking over clubs that. Uh, formed so teams that have have already formed and he'll just be the rudder and steer them yeah, in the yeah, right yeah. direction. That's I don't not Everton think, then. I, yeah, but I don't. <laughs> this, I don't think Everton exactly. I think Everton are that, and I think Arsenal even further away from that. Cause, yeah, because I think Everton at least have, as you said, there's there's going to be funds to to spend because they have to back someone. They literally they've they've put their money, eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a funny thing, isn't it? It must be. Sometimes you have to you have to pause for a minute with these managers and think. Wow, what a situation to be in. You know, they get fired. They never walk away. They always no. get fired. They get like, here's 10 million quid, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And then they, <laughs> and then they think, now, which, which one should I go for now? In fact, I was, there was a, what was that? Oh, you know what it was on? Did you know that podcast, that Let It Go Mince? Yes. The with, yeah. They were doing a sketch about it, about how it was, uh, it was the league manager's, um, <laughs> Annual dinner. The English Premier League manager's annual dinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're talking about that very thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can I go to get the next yeah, yeah. big chunk of money? Because there's so much money. you just got to think, what yeah. job can I go to? What will they give me? To How few games can I manage for before yeah, I get what paid will they off? pay me while I'm there? And then what will I get when they sack me? Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. If you're Ancelotti, you know, he actually hasn't had much success for a while. No. And then here he is choosing between well, these. And maybe he thinks... I'd probably only want one more job, that Everton job. If they pay me six million a year and I sign for, say, three or four years, that's that's the last chunk of money I need. Well, we've not seen a lot of Fabio Capello since he got one of those pennies, no. have we, funnily enough? Did he so, do, was his uh, last in, in China? England, maybe? Oh, yeah, maybe he went to I China. I think he maybe went for la- one last yeah. payday in China. <laughs> I mean, he's got... Luck. He's, he's got well, a massive art collection, apparently. Job. I mean, imagine how rich he must be. It's just an well, astonishing. this is it. And I go back to my point, the, the death of quality managers. But again, quality managers, a subjective term, because we don't know yeah. whether that's coaching, whether that's, you know, that's... Uh, well, aren't we, seeing the, aren't we really seeing the end of managing, in a sense? We are about coaching. The, the, the whole kind of... The bit we talked about with structure and stuff is about the idea that the football man gets on with yeah. the football... And yeah. running the club, yeah. you know, I, I heard a joke one time, which was the idea that um, Ven- when Wenger was still at Arsenal, and it was like they wanted to change some lights out, you know, it was all up to him, and it was like, well, yeah. 
make sure you're okay with arson first. You're like thinking, why is he worried about that? Yeah. The, because the outside of the stadium. I think that's how he did And it was yeah. the same with Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. just, every, nothing could really happen without their say-so. And and you're right, and that that's got that that's got to change. Partly, you know, it makes sense to delegate a little bit yeah. more rather than have one guy making all the decisions. But also because football clubs are so enormous now, they're, they're such like, massive organisations. Like isn't that like the English Premier League becoming more like its continental cousins? Ironically, yeah. Yeah. in these presumably Brexit days we're entering, mm. that we're going to become more like Europe in football. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, think, I think it's inevitable. I think if if you could give managers, or sorry, owners, an option whether they could have a. a, a an Alex or Alex Ferguson sort of, or a Wenger character that was successful when they were running it, they'd take a dictator. Yeah. It's just the fact that they don't have that option now. And yeah. it's, you know... I mean, since since your last show, obviously Klopp announced that uh, he's got a two-year extension on his mm-hmm. deal, mm-hmm. which if he sees it out, he'll have been at Liverpool for nine years. Mm-hmm. Which is a it's positive a long, lifetime in modern very football, isn't it? Well, yeah, one yeah. of the interesting things when I was working, I, uh, I was working at New Balance, working with those guys, and mm. some you know really interesting work that they were a part of, kind of a redevelopment of the main stand, and talking about Klopp's influence in even down to the club shop. He was like, you know, we want this like Dortmund and the feel of it and the the layout of it and everything that was kind of had his imprint on it. So he had, so he was, he did have influence wow. down to that yeah. level. But you know, and you look at the way he goes about his corporate responsibilities for the team we mm. you know we hear his his quotes today which i thought were very measured but you know when he talks about you know organizers having to think about these things not the athletes and that's talking about you know human rights violations and things like that that are kind of perhaps a bit too over the top for us to be discussing the whistleblowers but at the same time interesting that a manager can kind of distance himself from some decisions but be so influential in others at the club mm. Stu. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't have any much facts to back it up. But as I understand it, um, like for example, Liverpool, the choice of where they stayed was mitigating as much risk as they could in terms of what they're about to do, in terms of any kind of, I guess, human rights records and yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of other, other things that exist. It's in not Qatar. all that, is it? It's just there's a negative, there's a negative energy about the whole whole thing. There is, yeah, yeah. Anything in Qatar at the minute, you know, and I just, I just say that someone with Klopp that has such influence off the pitch is someone that's willing to keep it kind of within the... Well, he certainly made UEFA aware of what he thinks of extra that's... fixtures on the diary where he... His, I think know. the word was bollocks he used that Five Live, <laughs> five live didn't like very much, but, you know, <laughs> such <laughs> is life. <laughs> well, you know, on to, and, and on to the... You know, just... just I, I sometimes think that... I suppose these competitions, we'll, we'll touch upon that now, the World, the World Club Championships, is, is obviously for someone else's benefit. But as a fan, how do you view it? Would, is it something that you would still look at and say, this is a yardstick for us as a club to win? Well, growing up as a kid, you know, I remember sort of the, the sandy pitches of Tokyo and I was getting beaten by Flamenco or, or, or whatever. And it being disappointing, because obviously as a kid, you're bothered about these things. And obviously we didn't, we didn't do many, very many... That. And then more, more recently, with 2005, we should have won and got beaten. Now, obviously, there's all kinds of other there's all kinds of other soft power politics going on as to why it's in Qatar. Obviously, 2022 is the Qatar World Cup, so hosting the World Club Championships there would kind of make sense mm. as a kind of forerunner. I mean, yeah. it's not that long ago since the international. Athletics Championship was there, mm. which didn't get nearly as much attention for being mm. there. It was than bad, though. The, no, no, but what no means turned up. <laughs> that's the problem. No, 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 no. That that yeah. that, that side of it, yeah, yeah. That, that's obviously why. But yeah. but the sporting events still went on. The TV cameras still pointed at the runners. Yeah, yeah. They still absolutely when so and so won. 
but because football right? obviously is so much more of a every person's game, football then becomes under its under the scrutiny of the rights and wrongs of it, which is kind of interesting mm. in that sense. You know? I did, well, the, I, did, I did admire the the kind of segue of those world championships, as you said, there was nothing when they were watching. Mm. But in terms of the journalists going around and looking at the football stadiums where they've put in air conditioning yeah. in open air stadiums, which yeah. is quite baffling. And also, I mean, do, I mean, <laughs> as, as, I mean, this is going to sound cross comparison, but like if you look at say, um, there's a German thrash metal band called Ramstein who played in Moscow, <laughs> and two men kissed each other live on stage. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. If if those kind of things can happen in football during the World Cup or something, that would be you know yeah. where you know are we are we helping the progressives in Qatar or are we kowtowing to the conservatives that want to uh, enjoy what they have and then pretend they're part of the world at the well, same time? It's like I don't know. It's like the latter at the moment, but yeah. there might be an opportunity yeah. to redress the balance yeah. once the tournament. Because yeah. you could ask yourself the question: the, the scrutiny that Qatar are now under because of bringing football, which is much more popular than athletics. Yeah. yeah, is is like there yeah. must be some consensus going. What yeah. the hell did we line ourselves up for this for? Yeah, because yeah. every every single progressive country now is pointing the finger at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what football that's does. So, point, so in a yeah. sense, yeah. there is an opportunity here for football to hold Qatar's feet to the fire more yeah. than any other sport would. Yeah, you know, yeah. a boxing fight in Qatar is like in and out, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, you've got all the cultures that come to football, and we are yeah, yeah. we are about traditions and cultures. Yeah, and I think that. You know, well, there is an irony as well. Of, if you've been to Ancoats, where Man City is, that you know uh, they're welcome any sort of uh, investment about ten years ago. So it's good to see that they've yeah. they've got some from wherever yeah, yeah, it's yeah, from, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure they're happy for it. Let's move from Ancoats to East London, uh, uh, and I would ask for you maybe poorer cousins, the uh, West Ham struggling, but he's yeah. clinging on by a thread. Yeah, I mean he's another one like um, Ollie. Where you think, well, I mean, he's so on the brink, he's teaching, he can't believe it, and then he suddenly pulls, pulls off a result. I mean, the results at Chelsea, I don't know what the odds were of that. They must have been about, they must have been about 14 to 1 with yeah, it, yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then one that perhaps that you would have to win if you're in a position at the weekend against Southampton. Yeah, so and they did Back it. to back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, you know, he, he's always seemed like a good manager, hasn't he? I mean, he's got, again, but he's another one where you just think, he came back from China yes. to do it, didn't yeah, he? So course. they paid him, they had to pay him basically sort of China money to get him and he's like you can just imagine him in China the phone goes yeah it's West Ham here like we've got this massive stadium which we need yeah. to fill and we've got, we've got a bit of money because we've got an incredible deal on the, on the actual gaff yeah. so we will pay you a load of money and give you a load of transfer money <laughs> do you fancy it and he's like he's looking around at China he's like yeah <laughs> okay and now he's here and he's thinking, well, you know, what could, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is I get fired, which is actually an absolutely brilliant yeah. thing. Well, the second worst thing that can happen is I could start winning games and suddenly everyone thinks I'm great again. I but mean, are we, have we not had this conversation? Because weirdly, at the beginning of the season, before the season started, it was Leicester or West Ham that could take advantage of yeah. Chelsea and Man United and yeah. Arsenal's yeah. sort of. Maybe state Wolves of flux. and Everton were sort yeah, of yeah, mentioned yeah. a bit. But yeah, but West Ham, of West course, Ham fell away. Part of that conversation. Four, they four, definitely were. Yeah. West Ham were part of that because they bought what seemed they seemed to have good mm. players they seemed to have a good manager they made a little bit of progress last year I mean I've got two brothers who are massive West Ham fans one of them looked at me with a straight face and said they'd be in the title race that, I mean you have to admire that Theo, that, <laughs> Theo, have, have you, Theo in your life how many other times have you heard them say that very very few honestly <laughs> very few well I haven't said it since the North, I mean, twice maybe. I mean, they really believe. I'm, I'm mm. not joking. He really thought it. Not since the days of the but, but isn't, isn't, initial, isn't this Mr. about Webster? Is nonsense. Isn't this about expectations, though? In a sense that we're criticising Pellegrini because, like, 
as long as West Ham stay up, they're in the Premier League. But there's this naive ambition that because they've got a big yeah. stadium, they somehow it's should. It's great do. though, isn't it? That's why football's so yeah. hilarious. Is that most of the time, most of us are bloody furious. I mean, you're sitting. I'm looking at you now, and you're mm. a Liverpool fan. You've got a red hat on, a glass of red wine, and you're <laughs> grinning. You haven't stopped grinning ear to ear, but because you know, you said yourself, I've had an invoice got- paid. To be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got, you've got to make the most of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, Most yeah. of the time, because there's only three bloody tr- pots you could win and there's 90-odd clubs, yeah. just, most of the time we're all miserable. Has, 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 this been, has this been the last one of the year? You know, if yep. I think of the decade which are about to end as well, I started this decade with Roy Hodgson and we were plumbers into the bottom three. There you go. And here I am, like you say, there you go. with a little bit of a glow yeah. in my cheeks yeah. and uh, we're top of the league, which yeah. is when Roy Hodgson was manager and he's, he's telling us when we got beat 3-0 by Everton that that was the best performance of the season. <laughs> and you're kind of going, what? <laughs> Listen, ruddy-faced English managers, perfect segue. <laughs> on to my next two. I've got, uh, I've got Eddie Howe and Chris Wilder are both, you know, it's a kind of Russian doll of English mm. managers mm. we've got from Roy Hodgson mm. there. But Sheffield United can't, you know, you can't admire their ambition, the way they apply themselves to what you thought. Chris Wilder's been... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, again, actually, weirdly, I come from an extremely big family, so I've also got a load of Sheffield United in my family. With they don't go on very well with the West Ham, but that's that's a historical reason for that. But no, I mean, Sheff- that guy, where's he come from? He's a Sheffield United fan. That's the f- funny thing about him. He's absolutely mm. mad for Sheffield United. So he turned up. They already loved him because he loved them. Him and the Villa manager, aren't they? The both, yeah, the both Dean managers, Smith. The it's the same. Managers. It's the same deal. Yeah, and um, he. He's incredible because he, he's, he's a bit of everything, isn't he? Because tactically, like we said earlier, they seem very sophisticated. He's almost inventing his own tactic. You know, that thing, the, the overlapping centre-halves yeah, and all that. What I the, watched it. Where did that like, come from? I, I couldn't see what that was, by the way. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I, believe, don't, I believe it happens. The evolution of that team, I don't know how far it will go beyond the, the, the players he's got in the pitch, but they will live and die for him. And, yeah. and, and his second-in-command, Alan Neal, was someone that was... a kind of always seen as a, a very good tactician at, right, okay. at our level. So in League 1 and 2, when he was at Berry, when he was at Torquay, he was always very... He went into places and improved them right. as footballers and as a mentality. But Chris Wilder's almost got that... He's got a bombast and a bit of bullshiness about him on yeah. the touchline that gives them a, Tough. a bit more teeth, yeah. Mm. And, and he's the players that he seems to develop uh, embody that. And yeah. I think that... I remember, I remember the early, early sort of, you know, you match the day comments and it was all a bit patronising you know yeah, plucky like, yeah. and, and then he's just turned around and went we've not done we're not coming just to turn up yeah. we're not here just to yeah. we're here to do what we can yeah. and I thought yeah because there's you know the Roy Hodgson school of, of football management is to lower expectations wherever you can wherever you can yeah. you know and he was like no I'm going to I'm going to succeed because I yeah. believe in what I'm doing yeah but that's excellent I, I, we'll move on to Bournemouth Bournemouth perhaps you know, architects of Chelsea's slight decline, and and but they needed that win as much as anyone needed Absolutely. a win. I the think Premier they lost three or four on the bounce for that. Yeah, and yeah. to go there, I, I mean, it's it's slight alarm bells for Chelsea, but Chelsea have the luxury of being able to bring players in in January, and we know how much they love to do that. Yeah, especially when they when uh, after a ban, after a transfer ban. Yes, so I'm do, you sure th- I mean, do you think it's the end of Project Lampard in terms of bringing a lot of young lads through? What would no, I don't think it'd be the end. I, I wouldn't have thought about. I mean, he, he won't be able. You can't buy that many good players in January. Correct. So, and also those players will only get better by playing. They are. I mean, they're seriously good players. Yeah. I think. I mean, I look at Hudson Adoy, and I just think. God almighty, yeah. he's going to be Imagine amazing. Imagine playing against these guys. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I saw him playing for Chelsea last uh, season at Wembley in, in the League Cup. He'd hardly played any games, and he played in that game because it was the League Cup. And I just thought it was the first leg of the semi-final. 
I couldn't believe how good he was. I, I mean, that's how hardly ever happens when, when a young kid comes on. Mm. And I'm seeing him, like, close up, and I'm thinking, my God, the touch, the balance, the, the yeah. speed, the speed of thought, the confidence. You know that conviction that mm. really good players have where they believe in mm. everything they're doing? Oh, my God. And he's just one of them. I mean, yeah. Mason Mount uh, is really top draw. The, yeah. the American kid's top drawer, isn't he? Yeah. And Tammy Abraham, slightly late blooming. Uh, he's not that old. I mean, he's not that he's old. What is he? Probably 22, 23. But, I mean, when you think Kane was about 22 when he came through. I was going to say, isn't, yeah. isn't he following the same model, yeah, really? Yeah, absolutely. This idea Lots of, of loans. Yeah, you yeah. know, and suddenly there he is as the... As the and, and credit to Lempard for playing him and picking him ahead great. of the other two guys. Absolutely. I mean, he looks really good. I mean, I, I mean don't get me wrong it gives me no pleasure praising Chelsea and all these levels we've got Chelsea at the weekend and it will be an amazing game now now because we've got Mourinho and everything's turned around for us Chelsea look like a good team to watch and they've they've got they need it and all that and it'll be great and I sincerely hope that Chelsea not only lose at Tottenham but continue to lose but I do think (laughs) they've got a lot of good players but but I think looking at their kind of recent decline it is that thing of when you've got that young sort of esprit de corps about playing football it's like Attacking and scoring goals is like the fun part about football. But yeah. the grown-ups know what to do yeah. when you've got to dig in and be a bit grisly. That doesn't mean that you've got to be particularly dirty or anything. But like sometimes games are not expansive. Sometimes games are about tight lines. They're about just stopping the game for ten minutes, seeing it through, till you yeah. can have your opportunity. Yeah, that's kind of. But whereas young, you know, young people like to express themselves, and I think what you've seen is they've surprised the league so far, mm. and then the teams are benefiting later in the t- in the season, well, going, "We'll think, have a look at this." So I that's why. A, I think that's a great point. I think the fact that we look at Bournemouth and say, you know, we we just spent. We just spent five minutes talking about that game. We didn't mention Bournemouth once and we praised Chelsea because of what they aspire to be Mm -hmm. and what they try Mm -hmm. to do and that's what we see in the mind and that's no disrespect to Bournemouth. Bournemouth, Play to their capacity. Well, we beat Chelsea every year, don't we? As far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's why I had a sneaking feeling from because they they beat, they beat them about three yeah, nil, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, Bournemouth actually do have that about them. I mean, he's yeah. a, he is he's a very good manager. He he's in danger of, of coming up against um, Alan Kerbishley time, isn't he? Where where the fans are suddenly going, wait a minute, why aren't we qualifying for Europe? Yeah, they, their stadium holds about ten thousand yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, L- they've got no business being in the top flight. I played against Bournemouth when they were the lowest. When, it, when people say teams have played at the lowest ebb, it seems like I've always played against them. When Swansea were there, when they were like going, oh, when we were a Division 4 team essentially back in, what, 2003-4, played against them when they were on their arse, then they went up with the Premier League. Same happened with Bournemouth, I played against them in like 2010. It was like in a Johnson's paint, and we beat them on penalties at Torquay <laughs> United, and I was like... We just came to Bournemouth and it wasn't intimidating. It wasn't a tough place to go. It was just, a, it was what it was when we won. And then you just think, well, they've gone on to this ascendancy. And it's just always funny when you see that. And when you yeah. say about the 10,000 and just how quickly they've been able to change, not the mentality, not just the mentality of the, the manager and the players, but the whole club has this. Imagine just being a, one of those season ticket holders now, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's, isn't, isn't, he's, he's, if you look at, say, Martinez and, and Rogers, who sort of, cut themselves loose from their promising start as managers with Swansea and, and obviously, oh, and obviously exactly. making, yep. making careers of the, you know, beyond that. Eddie's not done that yet, has he? Eddie, this, Eddie yeah. has established himself. He's brought a team up. He's, yeah. he's held them He there. may not get that chance. Is it, I mean, Kirby, it's funny you say it, because like, yeah. Kirby's the after his Charlton successes Nothing never happened. really replicated. No. He, he managed at a level, but 
it was not so much success, was it? It was always no. A bit well, I mean, he went to West. He went to West Ham, which was his team, of course, when yeah. he was a player, and it never, never didn't really work out for him there. I mean, look, Dyche is the other one who's also got got a team punching yeah. way, way above. Way, way I mean, above. Burnley's a smaller place than Bournemouth. I think yeah. I'm right in saying you know, it's an mm, actual place. And, I know um, which one I'd rather go to, though. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I've been to both. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. say that with all due respect. <laughs> I've seen I've seen comedians die. There's a venue yeah. in Burnley called Burnley Mechanics, and I've seen like even Stuart Lee go there to die. I've seen the best comedians die in that ground. So I'm like, that place is tough to go, no matter what you do. Yeah, you my know, brother absolutely. got married up that way, and I remember getting off the train from London, and it is like when you pull in the station, it's fully exposed, and then the, they've put like a roof on the path yeah. going out, so you yeah. not so the weather doesn't so get you. Getting out the station. And last of some of the wine, just the theme tune comes on. <laughs> anyway, listen, James, I, I, I could talk to you both all night, and it's, I think, fittingly, Stuart, I think you perhaps highlighted that this is the last whistleblowers of the decade. Wow. So, uh, what more of a fitting guest to have than uh, uh, Theo Delaney and Stuart Wright, who have both been uh, presenting? Uh, can I uh, quickly ask you both what you're, uh, what you're up to in the remainder of this year and start of 2020? Theo, you got anything exciting going on at the minute? Well, I've got my new podcast. I'm glad you've given me this opportunity Life Goals with Theo. Delaney, which is a one-on-one interviews where people choose the eight defining goals of their lives. So it's like Desert Island Disc. Oh, amazing. But they do goals. They do a bit of music as well. Mm-hmm. They had a brilliant uh, Liverpool one with Peter Hooten. Oh, right, yeah. Who's, yeah. who's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had Peter Hooten, Nick Hancock, Paul Hawksby. Oh, amazing. Yeah, loads of really good people, uh, and it's going really well. So I'm, I keep, I'm going to do one a week, so it's quite a lot to do. So I'm, I'm doing we'll link one to this podcast. We'll stick one on there. Brilliant. I, I've seen you promoting it on, on Twitter, so it's good to hear that's going well. Thanks, well, I'm, I'm continuing. I, 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 I have a well-established podcast, BritFleece.com, where I interview filmmakers. And right. I've got a new one coming out just before Christmas, which will be the direct, writer-director of the breakout hit of British cinema, which is a film called Bait, which was a no-budget film shot on 16mm, black and white, and it's still in the cinemas to this day, sort of months after release. It's kind of a weird, against the kind of background, backdrop of like Marvel and Disney movies, yeah. this little film that costs nothing as kind of still on festivals now. So, yeah, I've got a podcast with that guy talking about making that film. And I've written a screenplay for a movie myself that's out to cast. And Touchwood, 2020, we're going to shoot the thing in Brilliant. June. <laughs> Brilliant. the plan. Good luck, Stu. Thank you both again for uh, coming on. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you both on The Whistleblowers in 2020. But, um, Theo, Stuart, thank you. Cheers. Nice one. Thank you. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.